And we're going to look at the death of Moses. Now, Moses is a fascinating character with a fascinating life. And his death is as fascinating as his life is. Uh, it's incredible how all of it is brought about. <clears throat> but we're introduced to Moses uh, in the beginning as he's being <clears throat> as he's being pulled from the bulrushes by Pharaoh's uh, daughter. And um, <clears throat> he is raised in the royal household, raised to be a man among men, wrote Deuteronomy chapter 34. Raised to be a man among men, and he becomes the favorite in the household, and it's very likely uh, that he would have sat on the throne of Pharaoh. But of course, he murders a man. Uh, he comes to understand his place, and he wants to be the redeemer of Israel. He wants to lead the nation of Israel out, and he murders a man, and he goes on the run. And he spends 40 years on the run, 40 years in the desert. And over the course of that 40 years, he got to the place where he was kind of comfortable being in the desert, where it was kind of easy, and life was easy for him, and that's all he really wanted out of life. He just wanted to be in the desert. He wanted to be on the run. But of course, God met with him in a burning bush and ignited the fire in Moses that was going to carry him far. He sent back to Egypt with a commission to lead the nation of Israel out. By now, they've become two and a half million people. Uh, By now, it's a huge nation that threatens the sovereignty of Egypt because if they were to turn against uh, Pharaoh, Pharaoh would have been in, in big trouble. And yet they were dependent upon them because they were slaves and didn't want to let them go. And Moses sent him with the task of taking them out of it. Pharaoh, of course, refuses. And God, through Moses, destroys Egypt to demonstrate his power and his glory. And then we find Moses leading them through the Red Sea. We find him leading them through the wilderness. We find all that goes on in the life of Moses, and it's just marvelous. It's fantastic. We find a man that had to put a veil over his face to cover the glory of God from shining because it was terrifying to people. When they met with Moses after he came down from the mountain, they were terrified by the holiness of this man. And we look at all this in his life, and then in the end, in chapter 34, he dies the strangest death. It's just such a strange death. Let's read it in in chapter 34, and then we're going to look at at some, uh, some truths from it here. And Moses went up from the plains of Moab onto the Mount of Nebo to the top of Pisgah that is over against Jericho. And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead unto Dan and all Naphtali and the land of Ephraim and Manasseh and all the land of Judah unto the utmost sea and the south and the plain of the valley of Jericho, the city of palm trees unto Zoar. And the Lord said unto him, this is the land which I swear unto Abraham, unto Isaac and unto Jacob, saying, I will give it unto thy seed. I have caused thee to see it with thine eyes, but thou shalt not go over thither. So Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in a valley in the land of Moab, over against Beth Peor, but no man knoweth of his sepulcher unto this day. And Moses was a hundred and twenty years old when he died. His eyes were not dim, uh, nor his natural force abated. And the children of Israel wept over Moses in the plains of Moab thirty days, so the days of weeping and mourning for Moses were ended. And Joshua, the son of Nun, was full of the spirit of wisdom, for Moses had laid his hands upon him. And the children of Israel hearkened unto him, and he did as the Lord commanded Moses. And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. 
in all the signs and the wonders which the Lord sent him to do in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh and to all his servants and to all his land, and in all that mighty hand and in all that great terror which Moses showed in the sight of all Israel. Father, would you bless us now tonight as we look to your word and help us, Lord, uh, to understand your dealings with this great man, uh, Moses, Lord, and help us to understand a little more about you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Last time we looked at Moses, we looked at um, Moses taking the glory of God, and God was upset with him, so God told him that he would not go into the land. Uh, He was told to speak to the rock, and he struck the rock twice, and God got upset, and God declared himself to be a jealous God, and said that, you know, um, uh, he was a jealous God, and he would not share his glory with another. Moses should have known that. But Moses because of his sin, is told that he can't go into the land, right? And he asks God, we we looked at him, he pleaded with God and asked God, can I, can I not? Just just let me go in. And God said, no, don't speak to me again about this, Moses. Moses, I want you to go up into Pisgah and you're going to die there. That seems so harsh to us. You know, it, it, it seems so harsh. What we have to understand, though, is the great God that we deal with and who it is that we have to do with. And we have to understand how he deals with people and what it is that he's doing with these people. Because our God doesn't act capriciously. He doesn't act without reason. He's always got a reason for acting and for doing what he does. I want you to notice some things, though, just from the passage. And we're just going to briefly look over the passage here. Uh, Look in verse 1. Second part of the verse, And the Lord showed him all the land of Gilead, and he goes there and he shows him all that he, sh- he it tells, all that God showed him. And you know what the picture is like? The picture is like God took Moses by the hand. And God said, you see, this is the land. I want you to see, see over there and see that part of it and see that part of it and see that part of it. And God actually showed Moses all that he wasn't going to let him go into. Now, <clears throat> tell you what I take from that. God still cared about Moses. Moses had done something. That precluded him from going into the land. But the relationship between him and God was not destroyed, was not ruined. There was still a relationship. There were consequences of his actions, but there was not a forsaking of Moses. That didn't happen here. And you see, God loves us so that he never forsakes us. Remember in Hebrews he promises that? I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That means no matter what you do, God will never leave you nor forsake you. You. And because of Moses' sin, he couldn't go in, but God still cared for him. I want you to notice something else here. <clears throat> Verse 5 just records, so Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there, according to the word of the Lord. Do you know, do you know what killed Moses? He, he didn't die, you know, of <clears throat> bronchitis. He didn't die uh, of any of those diseases. He didn't get old and just die. He died according to the word of the Lord. God said, it's time, Moses. And Moses died. Right there and then. Now, isn't that a dreadful thought for us? Just to die at the word of the Lord? Well, don't, don't we almost want to protect the Lord from being involved in death? It's so hard for us. We, we want to be in the place where we're, where we're kind of protecting God from. But God doesn't protect himself from these things. You know, not a sparrow falls from the air apart from God and not a person dies. Apart from God, God's involved in every one of it. It's impossible for for that to happen. And here he says, Moses died according to the word of the Lord. 
And as harsh and as difficult as that is for us to take, let's kind of play the thought all the way through. So Moses died. Did his relationship with God increase or decrease? It got better. Moses stepped from one world into another world and knew an even better intimacy with God than he'd known up to this. Moses was not pleading for his life to be prolonged so they could have another few years to live on this earth. What he was pleading for was that he would actually get to, to walk in the land. You see, but when Moses died, God took him to himself to be with him. You see, when we die, folks, it's not a tragedy. It feels like a tragedy. We feel the painful tearing asunder of relationships that put somebody in a different realm than we're in. But when it comes to God, it's not a tragedy. I mean, to die and go to heaven, is that really a tragedy? It's not. And yet we look at death uh, in that way. And... <clears throat> God said to Moses, Moses, now it's time. You know, I look at this passage, it's interesting to me, because he's 120 years old, <clears throat> and his eyes aren't dim, and his natural force is not abated. If you were to put that in men's home terms, that means he was still playing football, guys, right? Uh, he was still able to get out there and do it. He was still able to carry on the business of living. He, he, wasn't, he wasn't in any way hampered. He wasn't a crooked, bent old man that couldn't get around anymore. He was, he was full of energy, full of life, ready to go. Right? Um, God took him, you might say, at the top of his game, in a sense. Now, that's always a tragedy to us. When we see somebody dying young, or we see somebody who goes before their time, you know, that, that hits us as a tragedy. But you know what? In a sense, that person goes to be with the Lord, right in the prime. You see, I, I, we, 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 we've got two things going on in our lives. We've got the earthly understanding of life and death. That, that, that one is there for us, it's real, and... You know, we're going to feel that. But there's another understanding as well, and that's understanding it spiritually, from God's perspective. Do you understand that dying is not the worst thing that can happen to you? It really is not the worst thing that can happen to you. Much worse for you to be separated from the Lord and live. Much worse for you to live without his smile on you. Like, that's much worse than dying. You know, <clears throat> we've got to understand that when God took Moses... Although Moses didn't get to see the promised land, it wasn't a tragedy. There was no tragedy involved in it. God did something that was going to fulfill his purposes. And we'll see more of that in a second. But you notice something else here, though, in verse 6. And he, that's God, buried him in a valley in the land of Moab over against Beth Peor, but no man knoweth of his sepulcher unto this day. God buried Moses himself. Now, I don't know whether he used angels to do it or, or, or how it happened, but God buried Moses himself. He buried Moses. He caused Moses to be buried. That's kind of neat, isn't it? Listen, we all know the story of Enoch, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not because God took him. Do you know what, to all intents and purposes, that's what you're seeing here with, uh, with Moses, except we know he died and he was buried. But God took him to be with him. It was not a tragedy. There's no tragedy involved in it. Um, and look at verse 10. And there arose not a prophet since in Israel like unto Moses, whom the Lord knew face to face. There was never another prophet like Moses. Moses was the man. Moses was the one 
God had raised this man up, God had used this man, and there was never going to be another like him. All right, now, <clears throat> let's begin to grapple with some of the issues here uh, in dealing with it. Well, the point I want to make to you there, just from the text, is it wasn't a tragedy. You know, yes, Israel were going to cry for 30 days. That was reasonable. They were going to miss uh, Moses. But let me ask you, when Moses died, did Israel go into a slump? Did they? Did it go into, into a place where, listen, they were just kind of all over the place. They, they, they couldn't do that. No, they didn't. They marched straight across, the, through the Jordan River, and they took Jericho. They, <clears throat> they took the land. You know what? It, it didn't miss a beat. Do you know why it didn't miss a beat? Because it wasn't Moses. It was God. And God put his power on Joshua, and God used Joshua uh, to do the work that he wanted to do. And we need to understand that, that God's plans are enormous, and that God never misses a beat. All right, so the first thing um, we need to see in Moses' life when we're looking at the practicalities of it is, Moses had a mission. There's kind of two prongs to Moses' mission. One was obviously God was leading the nation of Israel out. But God was also clearing the stage for this nation as well. And the mightiest power of its day was Egypt. And so God had a two-pronged attack thing. He was raising up a nation. He started it with Abraham. He was raising this nation up to take the place of prominence in world history he had planned for. And he was putting down another nation. What he was doing is he was actually lifting one up and putting one down at the same time. And Egypt never recovered from what happened during during these days with Moses. It never got back to the same strength as it had before. It was impossible for it to do it. You see, God sets up rulers and God puts them down. And he wants us to understand in history that history is really his story. He's working it out. He's having his will and his way. He's accomplishing his plans. Years previous to that, he had decided that he was going to raise up a nation through a man called Abraham. And now... 400 odd years later, that's exactly what he's done. They're two and a half million people. Now, you and I could never dream of raising up a nation. <clears throat> we could never dream uh, of, of you know, raising up two and a half million people and all that God did in the meantime with this. But, but that's exactly what God did. God decided to grow a nation. You know, you might decide, decide to grow a field of spuds, and if you got <clears throat> everything going right, you might grow a field of spuds. But he realized that that's what God was doing. God was growing a field of people in this nation, Israel. He was growing a people, a particular people that would give glory to his name and that would see him as a holy God and that would live for him. God has big plans. God has big plans. You know, we we saw some time ago where God said to Moses, Moses, I'm going to kill them all off and I'm going to make of you a great nation. I'm going to start again. And you know, Moses, Moses had to plead with him because God could have done it. God could have actually taken and done it. He could have just destroyed all of Israel and done the whole deal again through Moses because... That's how big God is. You know, our God can do anything he wants to do. But Moses had a, a, a mission, and Moses' mission was partially uh, to destroy Egypt. And the other side of his mission was that he was supposed to develop this nation and bring them into the promised land. Uh, <clears throat> now, Moses' task was huge. And we've watched them. What do they do when they haven't got water? What do they do? Pardon? 
they give out? Who do they give out to? Moses. He's the problem, isn't he? Why did you bring us out of the land of Egypt? I mean, they're still doing it, you know, up to the last year of Moses' life. That's why he gets in some trouble, because they're, they're, they're complaining after all the time that has gone by. They're still complaining. You know, there's no water, and they're, <clears throat> they're, they're, they're upset with him. And, and that's why he loses it and strikes the rock. Right? But he has an enormous burden to bear because he's to lead this two and a half million people and not just lead them on a march, but to lead them and under God forge them into a nation. Because remember, they came out of Egypt slaves. And he's got to actually work with them uh, until they become <clears throat> a nation. Now, uh, let me read you something here. We do not wonder that the great leader faltered and trembled under the work that God had given him to do. Nothing save intimate communion with Jehovah could have inspired the soul of Moses for the wondrous task before him. We seem to hear him at intervals as he expostulates with God and shrinks under the vast burden of a people too great for him to bear. At Rephidim, when there was no water to drink and they mutinied in the wilderness, and Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. When they loathed the man and lusted for flesh, and he cried unto the Lord, saying, I am not able to bear... All this people alone. Why dwell on the separate familiar traits of a long and eventful leadership, the ungrateful and rebellious chidings of a, of a dependent people, their lapse into idolatry and worship of the golden calf until even the meek spirit of the man of God was ruffled and his anger waxed hot against them. Amid it all, we watch the lofty leader, faithful to the last, his patience and long-suffering, his penitence before God, his faithfulness to the high and lofty trust committed to him, and finally the mysterious providence of God, which decreed his death on the borders of that godly land towards which he had led them through many years. Uh, <clears throat> the death and burial of Moses as to time and manner are among the most interesting and affecting of any record in sacred history. It's very different the way God took him. You know, we look at him as the man of God that was such a great man of God, and we struggle with the fact that he died that way, right? Um, I want to understand something else, though. Though it seems harsh to us, God had reason for it. And when we begin to understand why God does things, we begin to understand God. And when we understand God, we can better understand our relationship with God and how we please this holy God that we serve. Right? So we need to understand, <clears throat> first of all, Moses wasn't perfect. Right? He showed us that, that in spite of all that God had used him to do, he, he wasn't perfect. Um, <clears throat> in, in the midst of all his vigorous life, God said to him, listen, Moses, it's time. Go up and die. Now, <clears throat> you know, <clears throat> When Moses spoke to, when Moses smote the rock instead of speaking to the rock, who was he drawing attention to himself? Do you remember? Who was he drawing attention to? Himself. Did I say himself? Yeah. Um, he was drawing attention to himself. Now, how was he drawing attention to himself? Do you remember the words he used? Do you remember the words? Must we? Give you water from this rock? Who's the we? Him and Aaron. Must we give you water from this rock? Now, you know what? If you or I were to say that, that, that would be a source of laughing. Of People could laugh, you know, because it's ridiculous. How would you bring water from a rock? 
But when you put that in the light of all the miracles that Moses had did, and all that God had entrusted to him, when Moses said, must we, the focus directly went on himself. And God rightly judged that this man, having made that step, now stood between him and his glory. Now, I don't think Moses intended to. We talked about that. I don't think he intended to put himself... I think he was frustrated, but the message that went out to everybody was, Moses and Aaron gave us water from the rock. They didn't. No man can give water from a rock. No man ever could or ever will be able to give water from a rock. It was impossible for them to do it. God gave them water from the rock, but he used Moses to do it. But you know what? This people were likely to, <clears throat> to understand that it was Moses that did it. And the very thing that God was trying to root out of their hearts was likely to spring up in their hearts again. Moses, had he taken them into the promised land, would have become the idol of their hearts. Would have become the person that they looked to. See, very interesting about what God did. God sent Moses up in Episcopal. He said, you're going to see it, but you're not going to go in. And he died there. And nobody knows where he's buried. God didn't trust anybody to bury him. God buried him himself. Now, why do you think God did that? Why did God not let him have a state funeral? What was God doing? Because they would have made a shrine out of Moses' tomb. They would have made it a place of it because they reckoned it was Moses that brought them out of the land of Egypt. They were fast coming to that conclusion. And you know what? <clears throat> Moses' error in striking the rock and, uh, and in speaking that way was adding to the problem here. So when it came to, the, to, to Moses going into the land <clears throat> of Canaan, much as all as God would have wanted him to, he couldn't. Because if he'd gone in, it would have been Moses. It would have been him that did it. <clears throat> um, second reason is, Moses' job had been accomplished. He was the statesman. He had brought them to this place. He had led them uh, to this place where they were ready to take the land. And that's what God had needed for him to do. Egypt was destroyed. Israel was on the rise. And his mission was accomplished. All but going into the land, and if God had let him take them into the land, uh, that would have created problems, so God was going to have another man to do the work of taking them into the land. But what we've got to understand there is, God has got a plan going on all the time. Something else we need to look at, too, is that <clears throat> Moses was a prophet. Moses was a man of God. Moses was a statesman. Uh, Moses was somebody who was raised in Pharaoh's household and he could handle uh, all the, the, those affairs. But you know what was needed now? What was needed was a warrior to lead them into the land. And God is doing something different now, so he's taking and he's using a warrior to do it. Because that's what Joshua was. Joshua was the man that raised up the army and Joshua was the man that, uh, <clears throat> that God used to defeat other kings and Joshua is the guy that's going to lead them now uh, into the land. So... <clears throat> You see what's happening here? That God's got a plan going on. That God's doing something. 
And he uses us to do it. And the most dangerous thing for us to do is to begin to think, it's me. Because it's not me. And as great as Moses was, and as indispensable as the people thought he was, I don't think Moses thought he was indispensable. I think he knew he wasn't, you know, he could be done without. But the people were beginning to think he was indispensable. God's able to change the situation just in a heartbeat and take a situation in a different direction. And what needs to happen for us is we need to understand that what God is doing is God is working out a plan. He's working out a plan in Moses' life. We look back and we can see the plan God was working out. He's taking this man and he's using him to accomplish something. He's using him uh, to do something. He's using him to put down one nation, to raise up another nation, and to lead Israel uh, into a new land. He's using him to do all that. We, we can see what God is doing there. But God's always working to a plan. God's always got a plan. He's always doing something and he's got a plan. He's taking and he's making things happen and he's achieving something that he wants to achieve. And what needs to happen for us is we need, first of all, not to think we can do anything of ourselves because we can't. We need to understand that the best we're ever going to do is get involved in God's plan. Lord, what are you doing? Can I have a part of it? Lord, what would you have me to do in your plan, in your scheme of things, Lord, can I be involved somewhere? That's what we need to do. And when he involves us in it, we need to understand that, listen, it's his plan, it's his work, it's him that's doing it. Remember, God had to teach Nebuchadnezzar a lesson. And if we go back and find the the lesson Nebuchadnezzar was being taught, it's this. God lifts up one ruler and puts down another. That's God's job. God does it. Man doesn't do it. God puts in place who he wants to put in place. And Nebuchadnezzar had to understand that though he felt he was the man that had accomplished it all, the reality is that God was actually doing a work and Nebuchadnezzar was part of that plan. And when Nebuchadnezzar learned that, God continued to use him. But remember, he had to spend seven years Uh, eating grass like a cow before he actually learned that lesson. But we need to understand God is doing a work. None of us, we're not able. The most exciting thing any of us can do is get involved in the work that God is doing, come to the place where we see and we understand what it is that God's doing. Because once we're there, listen, God can use us to accomplish things that are absolutely impossible uh, apart from that. You see, God doesn't need any one of us in this room. But he wants every one of us. Every one of us. God wants every one of us on board. Every one of us. There's there's a place. There's a park. There's a work. There's something for everyone in this room to do. God's got a great plan going on. I mean, can you imagine birthing a nation from one man? That's that's lofty, isn't it? You know, bringing, bringing a nation, having Abraham, and bringing a nation forth out of Abraham. And can, can you imagine then leading that nation into a foreign land where they would grow? Like, like putting them in an incubator? You know, so they could grow? So they could grow? And, and then creating a situation where they didn't want to be in that land anymore. And then sending a man to lead them out of that land. Preserving his life and sending a man to lead them out of that land. And taking him... And using him to lead them all this way. And then, when his purpose and his function was over, 
taking him home and putting another man in his place. You know, Moses was the greatest. That's what it said. There was never a prophet in Israel like Moses, and there never would be. Moses was the greatest, but you know what? He was just a man. And when God was done with this man, he took him to his reward. But he didn't need him anymore. And he used another man to do the work. And we don't understand we're part of what God is doing. Now, listen, as a pastor, that, 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 that comforts me greatly. You know, I can't do it. It's impossible. But I don't have to do it. All I've got to do is obey him, and he can do it, because he has a plan for life being. God has a plan, things he wants to accomplish through life being. Listen, you're part of what God wants to accomplish through life being. God wants to do some things, and he wants to use you to do them. And when you're done, he'll reward you. But it's his plan. It's his work. He wants to do something through you, to affect this world. He wants to take you and use your life. And you say, but listen, I'm nothing. I can't do much of anything. You don't have to be able to do much of anything. You just have to be willing to let him do it through you. You just have to be willing to let God work in your life to, to obey. Just to say, yes, Lord. Now, think with me for a second. right? <clears throat> Can you ever, in your wildest dreams, be greater than the plan God has for your life? Wouldn't that be pride? And doesn't God resist the proud and give grace unto the humble? There's, there's, there's no way that you and I can ever be more than God intended for us to be. So, doesn't it make sense that I should come on board and say, okay, Lord, what's your plan for my life? You show me what you want me to do. Because that's where it's at. That's where the, where, where the glory is. Not your glory, His glory. That's where the power is, because he's not going to empower you to do your thing. He's going to empower you when you're willing to do his thing. That's where the blessing in your life, because he's going to smile on your life and bless your life because you're putting him first. You see, God has a plan for your life, and all you've got to do is find it. And in order to find it, you've got to be surrendered. What does that mean? That means yielded, or whatever you want of me. I just want your will and your way. That means completely yielded. Now, I think sometimes we think we're yielded when really in our hearts there's that stubborn will that wants our own way. But when we're willing to yield and let God have his way in our lives and put our all on the altar and let him work his work in our hearts, you know what, listen, we're in the place of glory and blessing and power. We're in the place where God can do great things in us. And when we're not, he can't. Oh, listen, <clears throat> Moses is a great example to us. He was the greatest. And yet God could remove him in a heartbeat, didn't hate him, you know, didn't, come, didn't, didn't, didn't destroy him. Just said, Moses, you've stepped out of what I wanted you to do, and I've got to take you home. Still love you, but you've messed it up, and there's a consequence. And so God takes him home, and God continues right on doing what he was doing. Because that's God. He's always going to do that. I want you to look at Hebrews chapter 11. <clears throat> this is our closing on Moses, right? Because Moses gets a great write-up in Hebrews chapter 11. 
23. By faith Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Listen, we understand that Moses killed a man and it was murder and all the rest, but there was a side of it that was faith, Hebrews 11 is telling us, right? that Moses actually made a choice that he said, I would rather suffer affliction with the children of God than to, than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. He made a choice between Egypt and God. He put one away from him and took another one on. I, and, and, you know, I mean, he killed a man, but in his heart there was a choice made to step away from Egypt and to draw close to the Lord. Verse 25, 26, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. And remember, in verse 6 it says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Moses did. Moses believed that if he chose against Egypt and for God, and by the way, that's the choice you're called to make on every day of your life. You choose against the world and for God. He believed that if he chose against the world and for God, that there would be a reward for him. That if he walked away from all that Egypt was offering him and sided with the children of God, there would be a reward in it for him. And you know what? There was. There was a great reward, and then there was an eternal reward as well for him. Verse 27, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, which the Egyptians, assaying to do, were drowned. And it goes on to speak of Joshua's ministry. But you know what? Moses is a great man of faith. He's a man that trusted God and depended upon God and went with God's plan. And even when it came to the end for Moses, Moses says, Lord, can I go in? And God says, no, don't speak to me again. And we see from Moses a humble surrendering. And he walks, walks up Pisgah and he trusts God and he dies. And nobody knows where he's buried. There's no shrine to Moses. But you know what? <clears throat> he's the greatest prophet that Israel ever saw. He was the man that God talked to face to face. And if we could step out of this realm and into the eternal realm today and ask Moses, was it worth it? Moses is going to say, yeah. That's the way to live your life. Live for him all the way. Be willing to pay the price. Walk away from things that, are, that <clears throat> the world. Trust him. Walk with him. It's the way to live. You see, there was a surrendered man that God took and God could use in a mighty way. And if you'll be a surrendered person, if you'll be a man or woman yielded to God, Lord, whatever you want for me, even when it comes to this, that was death, if you'll be a person surrendered to my will, God's going to take you and God's going to use you. Because he's got a plan. And he's got the power. He's just looking for people that will get on board with what he wants to do. And if you're that kind of person, 
Listen, there's great glory for God. But you know what? Moses got glory too. Glory, the glory of a man that was used of God. And that's about the greatest glory a man can get. That's about for prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word. We do ask you, Lord, would you bless us? Now, would you make us a people that, like Moses, are truly surrendered to you and willing to let you have your will and your way in our lives? Blessed Spirit of the living God, would you take and apply the message in our hearts and in our lives? Lord, we know you have a plan. We know it's a good one. It's far better than ours. But, Lord, so often we're snarled up on our own plans. So often, Lord, we're caught up in what we want to do. And we're not looking to what you want to do. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed. And God is dealing with you right now. God has touched you with the message tonight. And what you want to do is you want to surrender your life to him. You want to say, Lord, I want your will. I want your way. I want it to be what you want, not what I want. Would you lift your hand so I can pray for you? Amen. 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 See those hands. I want your will and I want your way. Now, Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are working in our church and you are dealing with us. Blessed spare the living God. Have your full way with us. And, Lord, may not one of us fall short and miss out on all that you have for us. Lord, I pray no one here would end up standing between you and your glory and end up losing some of the blessing that you have for them. But, Lord, I pray you'd help us to remember that whatever happens, you love us and you'll be with us and you care for us. And, Lord, we look forward to a day when we'll meet with Moses and, Lord, when we'll hear of the blessing in his life. But, Lord, bless us in these days, we pray. Now use us, draw us close to you. In Jesus' name, amen.